0: Good morning church, it's afternoon isn't it? Oh man, is it? Is it gone 12 o'clock? Good afternoon church, are we all good? Are we all well? Could we knock the house lights up a touch? Yeah, any chance we could get maybe the back house lights on just so we can see people's faces a little bit better. So this afternoon I want to tell you, number one, the most powerful thing to affect how you respond to any situation or circumstance that you may come across or you may face in your life. And secondly, I want to tell you how you can change that, what you can do about it so that you can respond in the best way to any circumstance or situation that you face in your life. Uh, Let me give you a little bit of a, a, a story. We went down to London a couple of years ago and we did the London Eye. Anyone done the London Eye? Anyone? Yeah, one or two done the London Eye. We went on the London Eye, me, Vicky, my wife and the kids... And I, we were all quite excited about going on it, and if you've seen it, th- you're basically in this pod, and you can fit about 12 or 15 people in it. So we're all in this pod, there's seven of us in our family, we've got five children as some of you know, and we're all, we all get in this pod and there's a few other people with us. And so the pod starts going up, and you're kind of, you're over the Thames and you go incredibly high up. It's one of the highest structures in London. It's not the highest, but it's, in, it's one of the highest. And we're going up and we're getting higher and higher. And I'm taking the kids and we're going right to the edge of this pod and you're like you, there's basically a piece of glass in between you and the edge and, and that's it and you're looking out and me and the kids we're all going to the edge and I'm picking them up and and going look there you can see the Tower of London and you can see St Paul's Cathedral and we're looking at all these different things and all the time my lovely wife is getting more and more anxious more and more anxious anyone know why she is getting anxious that the kids are close to the edge like they're going to fall out. It made no sense whatsoever. We're like, we're in this pod. And if you think about it logically, how many people have you heard of falling out of the pods on the London Eye? Anyone? I mean, the thing's been open for about 10 years. I've never heard of a single person falling out of a pod out of the London Eye. Ever heard of a road traffic accident They're kind of happening every day. And so if you think about this logically, right, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Never has anyone ever fell out of one of those pods. Never has anyone ever been injured or or hurt or harmed in any way, shape or form. Whereas a journey, a 200-mile journey down to London and back again on the M6, there's accidents virtually every day on the M6 that are going on or on the M1 and on different roads. And in fact, that was the most dangerous thing we did on that trip was getting on the motorway and traveling down to London. Yet the thing that could, my wife, she wasn't anxious about that. She was sat in the car and I'm driving. She should have been anxious. Anyone, anyone who's been in a car with me will know that. that I mean, I'm, I'm a, I, 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 you know, being safe is important, so I am a safe driver. Um, but you know, I, yeah, I'm human and I could make a mistake and we could have crashed or anything on the way down. So why? Why get anxious in the pot. and it's not just Vicky Vicky mentioned this morning we went and she was very gracious we went to uh, Northern Ireland last week anyone been to Northern Ireland absolutely beautiful place I, I had all these images of Northern Ireland of gunmen and, 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 you know, balaclavas and, you know, and these harsh accents and concrete towers and all of this kind of stuff, just, just rolling hills. And it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been to. I fell in love with the place immediately. Absolutely gorgeous. And, and we flew there and we were on a propeller plane. Vicky mentioned this this morning, and as we're coming into land, it was really windy last week. There was a lot of wind, and the plane is going like that as we're coming into land. Now, I can get in a car, I could get on a racetrack, I could, I could drive, and I could be like, you know, really pushing it and, and, and overtaking and getting in and out and weaving in and out. Really dangerous. I could do that, it wouldn't scare me in the slightest. Sat in a plane when someone else is flying it and it's going like that, I'm gripping the, the, the arms on the seat. And I'm kind of calm because I know, okay, I know how to handle myself and to manage myself when I get into that situation. But there's a nervousness that comes upon me in that situation. Yet again, the drive to Manchester airport, we were probably more likely to be killed in that than we were in the plane. Doesn't make sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Why do we suddenly have this irrational fear... That comes because it is irrational. Why can that come on us in a situation when there's no need for it? And some of you may know what I'm on about. You may have these, these fears that come upon you. Maybe it's a, a situation or circumstance that you, you've got going on in your life at the moment. And whenever you think about it, when your mind goes there, the fear comes on you. Maybe it's, it's a job situation. Maybe you've got an interview coming up. Maybe your car's got problems with it and you're trying to sort that out and you don't know how that's going to work out. Maybe you've got a loved one who's not well. And you don't know how that situation's going to turn out But we fall into these irrational fears And they don't make any sense they, they, they don't make any sense Let's play a game for a second If I said to you, roses are red What would you say back? Yeah, literally just everyone immediately Roses are red, Violets are red. Jack and Jill Yeah, they, these things kind of just roll off the tongue, don't they? But the thing about roses are red, your response to that was just knee-jerk. Everyone, I think there wasn't, probably wasn't a person in the room that didn't just kind of immediately conjure up this violet to blue image. But here's the thing: if we were in another country, that wouldn't have been the response. They wouldn't have immediately gone, "Oh, violet to blue," and and roses are red. They might have actually their response might have been, "Well, roses are pink as well, or the white, or the yellow." or pretty much any color under the sun. You can get virtually any color of rose. In fact, they might have turned around and said, when you said violets are blue, Actually, violets are violet. They're purple. They're not blue at all. They're purple. So why are we all suddenly, immediately coming in with this knee-jerk response? This learnt behaviour of roses are red, violets are blue, and, and it just happens. It just rolls off the tongue. We just do it without thinking. It's like the whole, the old doctor who taps your knee, and what happens? You, I'm trying to balance now. I'm normally very good at balancing. Why suddenly? He taps the knee, and suddenly it shoots out. That's a knee-jerk response. That's the definition of it. And it just happens. Happens without thinking. The rest of the rhyme, some of you will know the rest of the rhyme. Roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. But are you all sweet? Are we all sweet all of the time? Or are some of us sometimes angry? Do some of us sometimes get bitter? Are some of us sometimes fearful? Are some of us sour, even, or salty? Is the word that the teenagers and the, or maybe the twenty-year-olds are using? That's you're so salty. Is the phrase that I hear hear my kids saying that salty, and then I say it and I get in trouble because they're like, Dad, don't be saying that. You can't. You're too old to say that. I'm like, right, okay, fair dues. Anyone had that with the kids? So it's a knee-jerk response. Suddenly we just come out with this. And. This happens in the situations and the circumstances that we face in life. I've had many a text message or something said to me where suddenly I'm gripped. I'm gripped. Maybe it's by fear, maybe it's by doubt. Maybe it's by concern or an anxiety or, or, or suddenly I'm in this situation where I've, like, I've, got, to, I've got to deal with this and I, I can't get it out of my mind and it makes no sense whatsoever. Suddenly I'm in this situation and I'm having to, to, to think it through and, and get a grip of myself and get hold of myself and, and deal with myself. I want to tell you this afternoon, not this morning, how or what the most powerful thing is to affect your response, okay? I I cannot control a knee-jerk response. And generally, it takes a bit of time to control a knee-jerk response. You could train yourself to respond, roses are red, and you could train yourself to respond to that, well, they're also yellow. That could be the response you automatically give, but you'd have to kind of train yourself because you've learned that phrase, haven't you? But what we can do is we can know how to deal with that situation and how to deal with the the, the response that we automatically have and how we deal with that and how we approach that. And the most powerful thing about that, the most powerful thing to affect your response to any situation is your faith or your lack of it. You see, your faith or your lack of faith is the most powerful thing to affect your response to virtually any situation or circumstance that you're faced with. It's your faith or your lack of it that affects it more than anything else. You see, we can immediately respond and be gripped by fear. We can have that knee-jerk response. Some of that stuff we can't always easily control. It just happens, but we don't have to stay in it. And we can think about our thinking. And we can take the time to think about how we're going to respond and how we're going to respond to our response. Ever thought about that? How does it feel when something happens to you and you respond negatively? How does it feel when something happens or someone says something and your response is an an immature one? Your response is one that suddenly panics and you hear your voice go up and you hear the way you react and you hear the way you speak and you suddenly know or maybe someone points out and you suddenly realise that actually the way I've just responded, actually it's quite immature. Maybe it's not mature, maybe it's not faith, maybe it's not a positive way I've responded, maybe it's not a good way, but your faith, your faith or your lack of faith is the most powerful thing to affect how you respond, how you respond to a situation and even more than that, how you respond to your response. Because we have two levels of response, don't we? We have that internal response, the thing that affects us inside that no one sees, and, and sometimes that's in the head. Sometimes it's how you think and what goes through your mind when something's said or a situation arises. Other times it's, it's here. It's here, isn't it? It's in the pit of the stomach. It's when that, that thing gets hold of you. And, and maybe you, when I was on that plane, my hands, I think Vicky even responded. She said, I could tell you were getting anxious. I think she said, my hands had gone clammy and, and uh, my breathing had changed. And, and, uh, and uh, apparently she said to me, Jeff Capes, anyone remember Jeff Capes? He was the strongest man in the world. He was a, a British heavyweight lifter and, and strong man. And apparently he used to get fearful on planes and he used to crush The arms on the seats. Literally, apparently, yeah. He would get so anxious that he would get off the plane and the seats would be damaged because he was strong enough to do that in his fear response. I wasn't quite strong enough to do that, but not far off. (laughs) Or maybe your response, what do you do when someone criticizes you? What happens when someone says something to you and maybe they, they criticise how you've done something or how you've reacted or maybe it's a job you've done and, and maybe they criticise that. How do you respond to that? Do you respond defensively? Are you suddenly getting all worked up? Do you suddenly, how do you hear what they say? They say this but you hear that. They say one thing, but what you hear is something completely different to what they said or what they intended. Now, I think there's two sides to that, actually. Uh, as an aside, this isn't what I'm preaching on, but I do think there's a, there's a response. There's, a, there's something that we can do that we should try and be careful about how we say things so that we don't offend people and, and maybe trigger them by it into a response that's not helpful for them. I think sometimes it's really good to think about how you handle people, particularly if you're finding in your life people are generally responding always in the same way and you, you're always getting a reaction from people. Maybe it's time to think about how you're saying things and maybe retrain how you speak and what you do. But I also think that there's a response on the hearer to think about how, what they've just heard. And how they've just processed it. Was that person really criticising you? Because often when there's criticism, the response that sometimes people, they, they hear a criticism, suddenly it's like, well, I'm just terrible, aren't I? And I'm just, I'm just I can never get it right. And I'm always getting things wrong. And, and I'm always doing this. And I'm always doing that. And, and I'm just no good, am I? Ever heard that response? Ever responded that way yourself? But maybe that person was just doing the best they could at the time maybe you were just doing the best you knew at the time and maybe the person who came and spoke to you maybe they were just doing the best they knew at the time to help you out to maybe give you some advice to to move you on or to help you to 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 give you something that would maybe help you to respond better the next time or handle the situation better in the bible as a A a, a great story, a great example, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament and it's about the people of Israel. And this was a, 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 a nation they became. It was a nation that came out of one person. One person that God spoke to. A man called Abraham and and God spoke to him. He spoke to him many times. And one of the things God said to him was, he said, I am going to make you into a great nation. He said, the nation that I'm going to make you into will be the greatest nation on the planet. Through that nation, every other person on the planet will be blessed. I'm going to bless all nations through the nation that I'm going to create from you. It's going to be so numerous that the stars in the sky, the, the sand on the beaches couldn't even number that nation. That nation started off with the most incredible, incredible promise. Started off as a great and mighty nation. And it was tested really early on. Before it, you could even call it a nation. It was just a family. It was just a, a, a family of people. And it was tested And that promise was handed down and told from generation to generation. But as years passed, the nation ended up in Egypt, in another place, in another land. And in that time that they were in Egypt, they grew. They grew as God said they would. They grew strong and mighty and powerful. So strong and so mighty and so powerful that they made some enemies. The nation that they were in grew fearful of them. You see, their response, Egypt's response to Israel, wasn't one of, hey, here's a nation that God has said, God himself has said he is going to bless all other nations through them. We're blessed to have these people with us. We're blessed to have these people in our midst. No, no, no. They didn't respond like that. They didn't filter it like that. They didn't hear that. They just saw this nation growing and they became fearful. And they became scared. And their resp- response was, hey, we need to worry. We need to react. We need to fight back. We need to, to keep these people down, keep them in the place, because they might grow strong and, and they might overpower us. And we can't have that. And this went on and on. And, and eventually you've got this nation. They became slaves. Israel, the nation, became a slave to the Egyptians. The Egyptians used the power and they treated them badly. They treated them so, so badly. They treated them as slaves. They gave them jobs to do. They gave them work to do. And and basically, they did all the jobs that the Egyptians didn't want to do. And they started to cry out. They started to cry out to God and, and cry out to God for help. And the nation, they became so powerful that in the end, Egypt fought back and started to call them even as a nation. And out of that nation, one arose. God responded and God sent a saviour to that nation. A saviour like like Jesus. He sent a saviour to that nation. His name was Moses. And his whole life started as a miracle. Egypt had decreed that Moses should be killed. He should be killed. And all the children of his age. And Moses was saved. His mother saved him. She put him onto the, to the river Nile. In a Moses basket. And just left him into the hands of God. He could have ended up anywhere. He could have ended up being eaten by crocodiles. He could have ended up drowned. He could have ended up being taken out to sea. He could have ended up on the other side of the the river. He could have ended up further down, not, not a few yards down with another family and being killed anyway. But where did he end up? Of all the places where he could end up, he ended up with Pharaoh's daughter. Suddenly found himself in the house of Pharaoh, being brought up as a prince as a prince of Egypt. Incredible. What an amazing miracle. Yeah. It didn't all go well. Moses grew up and he knew of his lineage. And he saw the oppression of his people. And he, he, he killed a man. Because of this, the way this man was mistreating one of his people. And he ended up having to flee himself. And he spent 40 years in the wilderness. 40 years until eventually God, and I'm obviously shortening the story, but but God spoke to him. Another incredible miracle. God spoke to him through a burning bush. There's a a bush just burning. And Moses spots this bush. Probably wasn't the most weirdest thing in the world. It, It was in a hot country. It was in the desert. A burning bush wouldn't be the most amazing thing to see, except this bush was different because it was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. It wasn't burning out. It was just burning. The flames weren't damaging the bush. This was miraculous. Moses noticed it. He saw it. And out of this burning bush, God spoke to him. And he said, Moses, I'm going to send you back to save my people. I'm paraphrasing all of this. I'm going to send you back to save my people. And eventually Moses complains and, 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 and says, oh, I'm not up to it, I'm not worthy. And gives all these excuses and reasons why he can't. But eventually he ends up there and, and God sends him to Pharaoh. Back to Pharaoh, back to the man he'd fled in fear. He sends him with a, a miraculous staff. A sign to Pharaoh. To go and to speak to him and to, to tell him to let God's people go. That was the message he went back to Pharaoh with. God says, let my people go. He stood there before Pharaoh, probably fearful. I would have been scared. I wouldn't want to do that job, would you? Pharaoh was the most powerful man on the planet at the time, in worldly terms. And Pharaoh stood before him and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh went, okay, yeah, I will, we'll source out some transport for them and, and we'll send them off with some stuff. And no, it didn't go like that, did it? He never said that. Pharaoh never just went, okay, yeah, off you go. Your people can, what, God said? Yeah, yeah, off you go. Brilliant, yeah, yeah, go. No, no, no. Pharaoh said, you're joking, aren't you? I'm not, why should I let your people go? I'm not gonna let, let your people go. They're my people. I rule here. I'll do what I want. And God, God sent a miracle, he sent plagues, he sent miracles to to break the back of Pharaoh. Miracle upon miracle. And every single time you, I remember the first time I'm reading it and, and you're reading this story and you're thinking, wow, Pharaoh, surely the first miracle, surely you're going to go, whoa, okay, yeah, wow, well, well, your God's come. Go, go, but no, no, no. Pharaoh goes hard, his heart is hardened. Says in, it, it, it phrases it like this, like God hardens his heart. God himself hardens him, his heart. I don't believe God did it in a, in a cruel and nasty way. I believe God did it because of what Pharaoh's heart was anyway, what was in it. But regardless of what I think, it, it, these went on and on and on, and then in the end, Pharaoh relents and he says, Go. I've had enough. I can't take it anymore. The, the, what, what your God has done, He has broken me. I am defeated. Go, go, just go and, and take your people. Take your people and go and, and off they go. And then there's a verse. These people cried out to God to save them. They cried out and asked God to save them. They did that. And God responded, they were being mistreated, they were being beaten, treated like slaves, you name it. They were crying out to God, God free us, free us from this oppression so that we may worship you. And in Exodus 13 it says this, it says, When Pharaoh finally let the people go, God did not lead them along the main road that runs to the promised land. It says that it went through Philistine territory. And, and, and it said that God, it was the shortest way. That was the shortest, the quickest, the main route. But it went through enemy territory. And it said God didn't take them that way. He took them the long way round. And here's what's so sad about that, because it goes on to say this. And I quote from, from God, it says, If the people are faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. If they're faced with a battle, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. There's a sermon in that verse alone. Yeah. Just, in fact, it's not even a full, that's half a verse. If i looking at it, if we did it word for word, it's about a quarter of a verse. And there's literally a sermon in that quarter of a verse alone. When God can, or has to say of His people, recognises of His people, if they're faced with a battle... They may change their minds and return to Egypt. Return back to their oppression. Return back to their slavery. If they're faced with a battle and God had to take them the long way round. How sad is that? He knew their lack, their utter lack of faith. Complete and utter lack of faith. And if you know this story, it's just All the way through, year after year, problem after problem, situation after situation, every single time. Listen to how they respond. The first real problem God's He sent 12 plagues. 12, not one, not two, not three, not four, not half a dozen, not even 11. 12 plagues he's spent he's brought the most powerful nation on the planet to its knees to free them they've left full of gold and silver they've looted the nation this nation has been brought to its knees to such an extent they've gone just go take anything you want take it all just leave us just go please just go just go just go what a miracle Am I overplaying this or is that incredible? That's incredible, isn't it? Absolutely incredible, right? And literally they travel. First roadblock they come to. Now, fair fair enough, it was a big roadblock. Mm -hmm. (laughs) All right, it was quite a big roadblock, it must be said. But the first roadblock they come to, pick up the story in Exodus 14, verse 10. It says this, basically they've got to the edge Of the river. And Pharaoh by this point has decided, what was I thinking? (laughs) What was I thinking? I've let this people go. They plundered me and everything. He suddenly forgot. He's forgot. He's forgot everything that just happened. And so have the people of Israel. And so have the people of Israel. They forgot so easily. Listen to it. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked. They panicked. They panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. Now I can can understand that panic. An army is approaching. I'd panic, wouldn't you? An army approaching. I think fear would grip you. I think fear would grip you in that moment. Roses are red. Come on. That's the response. You see an army approaching. (laughs) Whoa, 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 flip. What's going on? That's normal. That's healthy. It's like a healthy fear of heights. I think that's a good thing. You see an army approaching. You see someone coming at you with a knife. You better kind of, whoa, panic a little bit. I think that's normal and healthy. They saw the Egyptians overtaking them and they cried out to the Lord, to the, sorry, to the Lord, and they said to Moses, now here's where I think they've gone wrong, in my humblest of humblest of opinions, but I think most Bible scholars would agree with me on this, and God's put it in here as a lesson to us, listen to the difference, there's two responses here, there's the people's responses, when they cry out to Moses, and there's Moses' response to them, the people's response, the, 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 the Israelites' response is, <laughs> listen to it, I mean it's, it, it's incredible. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Sorry, hadn't they asked for this? Didn't they ask for God to free them? Weren't they, didn't this story start with them crying out for God to, to free them? What, what, You've suddenly forgotten that. That's gone. That's not in their minds anymore. It's not like, hey Moses, I know we asked for this. They don't even start it off like that. They started off immediately. Why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? It's almost laughable, isn't it? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Sorry, make us leave Egypt? What were were they forced to? Didn't they go and plunder Egypt themselves? Didn't they go and get all the gold and silver? What, was Moses carrying it all? Was, was he carrying it all? Was he carrying all the people? Not one bit. Not one bit. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? Well, to be fair, they did have quite a few moans and complaints because they're always moaning and complaining. Right way through the story, all you hear is the moaning and complaining and whinging and whining and lack of faith. We said, Leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses, Vicky mentioned the but this morning, so this follows really beautifully on for anyone who was in this morning. But Moses, he told the people this. He said, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. He said, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. Come on. Anyone's faith rising here? Is these not verses of faith? The Egyptians you see today will never, will never be seen again. The Lord Himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Just stay calm and watch your salvation. Watch your salvation. You see, the problem with the Israelites was they'd forgotten. The problem with the Egyptians was they'd forgotten. They'd forgotten. The problem wasn't actually that they'd forgotten. The problem was what they'd forgotten. They'd forgotten. The Israelites had forgotten all the miracles that God had already done. The Egyptians had equally forgotten all the miracles that God had done. They'd forgotten. All they'd remembered instead was the power of Pharaoh. What did they remember? Did they remember Moses' salvation as a baby? Or did they remember the decree that was sent out to kill him before he started? Did they remember Moses as a prince or Moses as the oppressed? Did they remember God's promises or did they remember Pharaoh's threats? Did they remember God's miracles or Pharaoh's army? Did they remember God's name or was it Pharaoh's title? that they remembered, you see the problem was that they forgot and they didn't remember but actually they did remember, it was just they remembered the fearful things and they allowed them to consume their minds, they allowed their minds to to race and race and race over all the things that were happening to them, all the problems, what might happen, what might go wrong, what might occur Instead of thinking about the faith that could happen and the promises that God had given them. Right at the very beginning, their nation was born out of a miracle. Their nation should never have even existed. The mother of their nation couldn't even bear children. Their nation started with a miracle. But they'd forgotten. They'd forgotten. They'd forgotten God's promises. They'd allowed the mind to go back to the fear Instead of keeping their minds focused on faith, on faith. And how many of us, how many of us, when a situation arises and the fear grips us, I get it. I'm not studying, saying I've got some miraculous cure that as a situation arises or someone says something, you're not going to kind of suddenly be a bit fearful or worry or get a bit anxious. But what I am saying is you have a choice. You have a choice. You have a choice of what you allow your mind to remember. Anyone gone to the to the cinema and watched a really, in fact, think back to the worst film you have ever seen. You can all think of it, can't you? Right? Do you keep going back to the cinema to watch it? Do you keep putting it on at home? Do you keep watching it? As a kid, I used to hate Dad's Army. My dad, I couldn't stand it. I was like, oh man, Dad's Army again. Every Saturday night was one of the worst programs. I could have watched MASH. I know some of you like, I hated MASH. Couldn't stand it. I don't sit there watching that stuff. If that comes on on gold, I'm straight over. Put something on that I like. Yet, how many times do we allow our mind to go over our failures and our problems and, and, and the things that we've got wrong in the past? What about the miracles? What about the miracles? What about all the amazing things that God's done for you? What about all the miracles he's done? What about the times he's saved you? What about the times that God's come in and rescued you at the last minute? What about those times? Can you remember any of them? when the problems arise and the situations come which ones are you playing which ones are you which dvd do you put in which channel do you turn to are you turning to the channel of of your problems and your fears and your failures or you're turning to god and what he's done do you remember the promises that he's spoken over your lives or do you remember the negative things that people have said to you all the criticisms you've heard and the, and the complaints and the, the oh, you'll never amount to anything and you'll never do this and you'll never do that you can't sing and you can't play the keyboard and you can't be a drummer or you can't be a... Do you know apparently they told Messi he couldn't be a drummer, a footballer because he was too small. What do you think he hears when he goes out on the football pitch? I tell you what, if he hears that, he laughs. He laughs. I think he hears his coaches telling him what he can do and how great he is. And you can do the same. You get to choose, you get to choose. Listen. a coward. There's a saying: "A coward dies a thousand deaths, a thousand deaths, deaths. A coward dies a thousand deaths, but a courageous man dies only once. Some of you in here, you're fearful of the future. You're fearful of what's ahead and, and what's coming. And every time you fear it, you die another death. Every time you replay the negative thing that might happen, you die another death. But a courageous man, he dies only once. If that thing should happen to him, which for the courageous man it may not. That courageous man, he dies only once. He doesn't fear it, he doesn't keep worrying about it and playing it over and over in his mind. No, he goes back to the promises. He goes back to the promises that have been prophesied over his life, to what God said, to what he knows is true. And he holds on to it and he plays it over and over again. And he builds himself up and he raises his faith level. He lifts his hands. He rises up. Do you know how many times it says in the Bible to rise up? Do you know how many times it says in the bible to rise up to rise up to lift yourself up come on let's get to our feet will you join me on your feet join me on your feet come on come on the bible says to rise up let faith arise and god's enemies be shattered Let your faith arise, church. Let your faith arise. Remember God's promises. Remember what He's spoken over your lives. Come on, band. Come on, let's do it. Come on. Come on. Leave that there. I'm going to say some more in a minute. You know, it says in the Bible, in Hebrews, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Anyone ever taken out an insurance policy? Do you know the difference between an insurance policy and an assurance policy? They're different things. There's a technical difference, but it's really interesting. It's worth knowing. Because the Bible doesn't say that faith is the insurance The Bible says that faith is the assurance. You see an insurance policy will pay out if something happens. If your home gets broken into, or you have a car accident, your insurance policy will cover you and it will protect you. But an assurance policy is different. An assurance policy always pays out. An assurance policy is a guarantee, a guarantee of payment. It happens either after a predetermined time or after an event, but it always happens. You are assured of that amount of money being paid out. It has to happen. And the Bible says that faith is the assurance the assurance of things hoped for. The thing that you're hoping for is assured that it must happen if you have faith. You see, it is your faith or your lack of, of it that is the most powerful thing that affects how you respond. If you know for a fact, think about this. man, just go quiet. It's lovely that you're raising it. It's good. It's good. Let's, let's just lower it for a minute. Imagine, for a moment, imagine I've took out a policy to, to pay out a sum to my family. Not an insurance policy, but an assurance policy. And it's an amount that I know is going to be enough to financially look after them, whether I live or whether I die. Am I struggling, sleeping at night, worrying about my family's financial future? Am I fearful that they're going to be okay? Or am I assured that the thing that I hope for is going to happen? That my family are going to be financially safe and sound? And faith on the promises of God on the things that he has spoken, on the things that he has said, number one to everyone, but number two, more specifically to you as an individual, is the assurance that that thing must happen. That's got to affect how you respond. Because if I'm told that something's going to happen, and then an event occurs that makes it look like it might not happen, am I going to panic? Am I going to panic? Am I going to worry? No, not at all. And I just want to end with this. I know some of you see, one of the things that, that God really wants to say to some of you this afternoon is this that the problem with some of you is what you're remembering and what you're not remembering. And listen, God. Do you know anyone heard that God forgets? Anyone ever heard that? I've heard it said that God forgets. I've heard it phrased that God forgets our sins. Anyone ever heard that? Yeah, it's not quite accurate. It's not true that because it does. Number one, it's not what He says, and I can understand why people say, "Oh, God forgets your sins." He doesn't forget your sins. It says in Hebrews eight twelve. It says that He chooses to remember your sins no more. He chooses to remember your sins no more. But it says in Deuteronomy 4.31, it says that God is a merciful God. He will not leave you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your fathers that He swore to them. God has made a covenant with you. It's an assurance. It's your assurance. Your assurance of salvation. Your assurance that his promises are true. And he's telling you this afternoon that he remembers. He has chosen to forever remember them. And not to remember our sins and our iniquities. Come on. I'm so glad I got that response. You know, uh, I, it's just one of the most amazing things. Think about this for a moment. May, maybe you're struggling with, with a situation. Maybe you're struggling to trust in God because you, you're thinking about you and you're thinking about your lack of faith. And maybe you're thinking about the things that you've done wrong and your failings and, and your sins and all your problems. But God says right there, Don't say, I forget your problems. He said, but I choose not to remember them. Instead, I'm choosing to remember the promises, the promises. God says, I'm choosing to remember the promises. Are you, are you remembering the promises? Because that's your faith. Should we pray for a moment? Maybe just bow your heads. I just want to end this meeting with a prayer. If you want God to remember your promises, and and listen, in one sense that's not technically correct, but thank God that He doesn't send lightning bolts because we phrase things slightly differently, because God knows our heart. And let me explain what I mean by that. If you're really wanting to put a marker down, a marker in the sand that you're choosing, You're choosing to believe again in the promises that God has spoken over your life. You're choosing to believe that God remembers those promises. Maybe you've forgotten them. Maybe you've been focusing on the the bad movies in your life and the the sins and the problems. And God wants to assure you this afternoon that God's not remembering the the failings and your faults and your sins. No, He's remembering the promises that He's spoken over your life. And if you want to remember them again now, and you want to be in that faith, I'm going to ask you, just raise your hand now. I want to pray with you. Just raise your hand now. I see hands going up all over the room. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, let's pray in faith. Lord Jesus, Lord, we we make a decision now. We choose to remember your promises. We remember what you've done, Lord. We remember the miracles that you've already done in our lives, Lord. We remember your personal promises. And remember who you are. You're not a man that you would lie. You're a trustworthy God. You're a faithful God. And you're a God of miracles and a God of love. So Lord, we put our faith and our trust and our hope in you again. We make a decision right now that when that problem arises again, Lord, that we will not allow our mind to stay in our failings and our sins and our problems, Lord. But with you, we will choose to remember your promises over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. And listen, just one more prayer. Is there anyone in this place? is there anyone in this place and, and maybe you would say right now that I, I'm not a Christian. I've never prayed a prayer to become a Christian. I don't, I don't have that relationship with God. I, 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 I know of Him and I know about Him and all of those things, but you've never ever maybe put your faith and your trust in God and, and said a prayer asking to be a child of God as the song says. If that's you, just with every head bowed, with every eye closed, it's going to ask you now, just, just raise your hand. I want to pray with you right now. Anyone that needs salvation this day, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's good news. That's good news. That's good news. Guys, thank you. What an amazing meeting. Are you coming up? Come on. No, come on up. I've talked enough.